Um, we've been talking about leadership lately and about how all of us are leaders. And um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 23, it's the story of God creating the world and God decides to make humanity. And God says this, he says, let us make humankind in our image so that they may rule. It's this idea that God, he is the ruler over all the universe, over everything, and we are made to be like him in his image so that we also lead. And at the very minimum, you are the leader of your life. You've got to lead yourself. Um, but because you're made in the image of God, everywhere your presence goes, you have influence. I mean, when you walk into this room, you have influence. Um, and you, your, your presence can either help people be like, yeah, let's worship God, or your presence can be like, okay, this is so boring, you know. I mean, and, 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 and everywhere we go, we have this ability to influence how other people respond, the energy level in the room, whether we go after something, whether we get apathetic, whether we get discouraged. We, we all have the ability to influence one another. And we believe that God created us not only to lead, to be leaders, but he wants to help us be the best leaders we can be. And he recorded his wisdom for us right here. That he inspired different humans to write his wisdom down. And he oversaw the preservation of it and the translation of it. And that it still speaks to us today. So, I want you to grab your Bibles, okay? This is God's Word. It's the Word of Truth and the Word of Life. And we're going to read it together. If you can, don't have one, you can grab one out of the baskets and turn to James chapter 3, verse 13. James 3, 13. And, and the pew, I want to say pew Bibles. It tells you how long I've been going to church. Um, and the basket Bibles... There's a little post-it note, and that will get you to James chapter 1, okay? And then you just got to, like, flip a page, and you'll be at James chapter 3. Um, our main text is actually from, we're going to dive into chapter 4, but we got to summarize a little bit of chapter 3 before we get in there. But the book of James is written to Christians who are going through a very difficult time. They're being persecuted. And James writes to them to teach them how to lead themselves well in hard times. I mean, who, which of us doesn't need that, right? <laughs> how to lead ourselves well during hard times. And um, he, his, his message is pretty simple in chapter 1. He's like, okay, you're going through difficult times. This is what you need to do. You need to ask God for wisdom. And God will give wisdom to everyone generously without finding fault in them, without trying to decide if they deserve the wisdom or not. He will give generously give you wisdom. But, there's always a but, you know. <laughs> but, you have to believe and not doubt. That's the but. You, when God gives you the wisdom, whether it comes through his word or other believers, sometimes we speak wisdom to each other. God has ways of revealing his wisdom to you. And when he does, you have to believe it and not doubt it. And James says, don't just merely listen to what God says and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's chapter one. All right, we're done with chapter one. And then what he does the rest of the, the rest of this book is he goes through and he points out ways that we're double-minded. 
And this is where it gets really convicting and hard. He points out ways where we say, oh, God, what do you want us to do? Okay, we'll do that, and then we do the opposite thing. And and in chapter 3, he talks about the double-mindedness of our speech. How we praise God, and then at the same time we curse other humans who are made in the image of God. And... um, and we might say, well, we don't, I don't curse people. You know, I'm not like a witch who like has a pot and cast spells and stuff. You know, like we don't curse people. Well, the way James uses the word curse, it just means anytime we speak hoping for someone's downfall. So if we have a boss and we go and to our coworkers about how awful of a boss they are, That's cursing. That's hoping for their downfall. If we call up our our sibling and complain about how awful our mother-in-law is, you know, or complain to our kids about how bad their parent is, you know, that's that's cursing. And James says we we shouldn't do this. In chapter 3, he says we shouldn't do it for two reasons. One, it's counterproductive. He says it's counterproductive. Negative speech can't produce good results. He says a thorn bush only produces thorns. Well, he doesn't say that. Jesus says that. He says other things like bitter water only produces bitter water. But same principle. A thorn bush will never produce sweet fruit. And thorny speech will never produce sweet results. Negative speech only produces negative results. Sometimes we think it, like, oh, we got him fired, or, you know, like, whatever. We think it's good, but in the long run, it's always negative results. And James says we do this to one another um, because we have bitter envy and selfish ambition. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. We want what others want, especially during hard times. We want what others want. We think, why? You know, why do they have that? They don't deserve that. I want that. With leaders during hard times, we think they're idiots, right? And we think, oh, you know, if people would just listen to me instead. And we want their influence. And James says we curse one another because we have that kind of selfish ambition. You want to know how to tell the difference between a person who leads, who's a leader because they have selfish ambition or they're a leader because they really want to serve? James talks about that. A leader who wants to lead because out of just selfish ambition, they will do it by cutting others down. That's how they gain their influence. But a leader who wants to actually lead to help people, verse 13, he contrasts them. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Basically, who do you want to choose to be your leader? All right? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. 
We talked about this last week. How we boast about our selfish ambition and deny it at the same time. And the way we do it is simple. Is we say, oh, I'm doing it for them. You know, like, oh, I'm a, you're a workaholic. I'm doing it to provide for my family. Yeah, you're doing it because the promotions feel good. You know? And we do these kind of things all the time. I'm doing it for my kids. I'm doing it for them. I'm do-. But we're actually doing it for ourselves. And he says that we have this selfish ambition. We shouldn't boast about it and deny it at the same time. Such wisdom, verse 15, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So when you're choosing a leader and you're trying to figure out, do do they want me to follow them? Because they really want to serve and help me. Or do they want me to follow them just because they want to climb to the top of that pedestal? This is, this is your litmus test right here. Have they shown their wisdom by a good life and deeds that are done in humility? Or have they tried to c- climb that pedestal by cutting others down? Because that's selfish ambition. When we say, oh, I want to serve you, but this person, don't follow them. That's selfish ambition. If they will cut that person down who's made in the image of God, they will cut you down too. That's how you tell the difference. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven a leader who's actually gifted with the wisdom that comes from heaven and isn't trying to use it as a cover for their own ambition. Wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace Reap a harvest of righteousness. And this gets back to that idea of what speech produces. Peaceful speech reaps a harvest of what? Of peace and righteousness. But bitter speech. Don't follow them because they're awfully... What is that going to produce? Just more bitterness and envy and strife and every, what does it say? Every disorder and evil practice. Yeah. That gets us right to chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He goes right into that. I'm actually going to skip verses one through ten for right now. We're going to come back to them later. But I want to skip ahead to verses eleven and twelve. We're going to read them and then come back to one, okay? Verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander anyone. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you, you are not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment of the law. But there's only one lawgiver and judge, one who is able to save and destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? 
He calls them brothers and sisters. Now, they're not related by blood. I take that back. They're related by the blood of Jesus. They're related by the blood of Jesus. Through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, we can be adopted into the family of God. And then we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's what he's writing them to. And he's like, um, he says, don't, don't slander one another. Now, that doesn't mean you can go slander other people, okay? That's not what he's saying. <laughs> but he's like, above everybody, do not slander your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the reputation of God's family depends on it. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. By how you love one another. How we love one another. Um, is what the reputation of God's family depends on. Now, Jesus didn't say, they'll know you are my disciples because you never have any conflict. He didn't say that. He promised them they actually would have conflict. Love is not the absence of conflict. Love is how we treat people when we are in conflict with them. Love is how we treat people when we're in conflict with them. Um, it's not abandoning relationships because they get too hard. Love is forgiving one another. Love is when you butt heads. You don't gossip about it with somebody else. Or you don't assume you know why they said what they said or they did what they did. Love, love is going and meeting with them just one-on-one, like Jesus told us to, and working it out. That's love. Unfortunately, Christians, um, we tend to handle conflict in, in one of two unbiblical ways. Either we, um, we think the loving thing is just to not just keep the peace, not make a fuss, and we just try to sweep the elephant under the rug. <laughs> right? And then we paint this happy face on like, oh, everything's great. And, and people who are not Christians, they come to church and they're like, these people are not relatable. You know, because we just pretend like everything's perfect. You know, and um, but the other way we tend to deal with things is exactly the way the world does. By complaining and gossiping about one another. Or, or maybe it's delayed. Maybe like we try sweeping the elephant under the rug and be like, oh. It's good, it's good, I can forgive, you know, and but it just builds in us until we we start making comments to other people, right? Because we can't keep it under the rug. And um, and James says we not only gossip, but we we go we slander, which slander is, is gossip with embellishment. Gossip with embellishment. It's like, um, I mean, if you ever think about when you've gossiped about someone, and let, we all have, okay, um, it's usually because they've done something to offend or hurt, right? And um, we want to be feel vindicated in our anger and our hurt. So we recruit people to be a jury. 
Um, and, and we want to make our case to them about how awful what this person did was. And so we tell them what happened, but we embellish. We exaggerate what they said. And we exaggerate how they said it. And, and we add these little comments about their motives. And even though we don't even know what their motives are. Right? And it, it's and because it's a one-sided jury, I mean, if you can think about this, like, they only hear our side of the story, right? It's like if some you set up a courtroom and only the prosecutor speaks and then the judge says, case closed, jury, go make your decision. You know, and they're like, the defense doesn't even get a chance to speak. It's outrageous. And yet we do that all the time. And then, of course, the jury most of the time will side with us because they only hear our side. As Christians, we're not to slander. When we have conflict, don't go and recruit a jury. Whether it just be one person or two people, don't recruit a jury. Don't recruit your kids to listen to how bad their mom or dad is. Don't recruit coworkers to listen about how bad another coworker is. And certainly do not recruit people in this congregation to listen to how someone else in this congregation has wronged you. Instead, we're to do what Jesus commands us in Matthew 18. I think we have this one on the screen. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out the fault. Just between who? Just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. Do you realize that until you take this step, you are a jury that has only listened to one side of the story. So there's no way your judgment about what happened can be fair and just. Because you're a one-sided jury. You have to do, well, what it said on the last slide first. <laughs> um, yeah, go to them first alone. And then if it's, it says, if they won't listen to you, if that doesn't work, then you recruit one or two other people to mediate for you. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now this, this is not easy. This is not easy to go and sit in a room with them and know they're mad at you and you're mad at them. You're kind of like this and not really making eye contact. And it's just that awkwardness. But you just like ask them, okay, can you explain this to me? And you, you don't ask accusatory questions. Why did you do? You know, like, just like, can you help me understand Keep the questions neutral. And as James says in chapter 1, he goes, you, you are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And, and the whole goal is not to prove how right you are, but to reconcile the relationship. Now, this is tough to do. It's a lot tougher than sweeping the elephant under the rug. It's a lot tougher than holding your tongue and not gossiping. Um, and I, it, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we put resources on the back of these bulletins. 
And so there's resources listed there that will help you do this and learn how to do this. I'm just going to list a few of them, okay? Um, Craig Groshaw, he, he's a pastor. He has a leadership podcast that is excellent. Um, and he teaches all kinds of principles about leading yourself and leading others. There's a link here about how to give and receive feedback in a positive manner that actually leads to change. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren is retired now, but he has a lot, he has a podcast and a lot of his sermons are still online. He's funny, he is like very practical, gives step by step what to do, very biblical. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons I put resources on here is because there's a lot of junk online too. There just is. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christians who aren't. There's a lot of people who um, were solid Christian teachers and pastors, but as they get more and more popular, it, they just learn, well, if I say that, then people will stop listening. And so the more and more popular they get, the more and more the truth of the Word of God gets watered down and diluted, and their theology begins to change. Pastor Rick Warren is one who had solid theology all the way to the end of his ministry career. Um, Dr. Henry Cloud, have any of you heard of him before? Some of you have. He is excellent. He's a, um, a clinical psychologist, Christian. The guy knows the word of God backwards and forwards. He, I listen to him and I'm blown away. I think I know the Bible pretty well, but he is able to pull truths and scriptures that I'm like, dang, he's good. <laughs> and he has, if you look up his podcasts or his YouTube channel, he has videos on almost every relational topic under the sun. Um, he wrote a whole book on, for Christian singles who can't figure out how to get married um, and find a spouse. And he just, everything. So I put three of them on there. The first step to resolving conflict. How to be around someone who has hurt you. That's one of the links. Another one of the links is, um, do you have a family member who you know they need help and they refuse to get help? There's one on that, all right? You can find a whole lot more. These are in the back of your bulletin. They also get emailed out every week with the email bulletin, and the links are live, so you can just click on them, all right? If you don't get our email bulletin and you want it, this is the Connect card. Put your name on it. Write down, put me on the email list or whatever, okay? And we'll, we'll start, start sending you the email bulletin where you'll get all of these resources and links live, okay? That's my little promo commercial for the middle of the sermon. Um, but you guys need more than just me. I, I mean, that's one of the reasons, first of all, I have you open the Bible and read it for yourselves. Because I don't want you to be dependent on what I say. But you also need other teachers besides me. Listening to me for 30 minutes once a week is, is not going to give you all the tools that you need, okay? So there's some other resources for you. So yeah, having these awkward conversations, it's a harder than sweeping the elephant under the rug, and it's a lot harder than gossiping, but this is how we love one another. 
And it's when we do these kinds of things, and we love one another and reconcile relationships, that's what shows the world how we're different. Because we live in a society, in a culture where the way people lead is by cutting other people down. And that's how they gain their influence. It's by attacking other people. And we can't follow that pattern, guys. We have to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. The reputation of Jesus Christ depends on it. Do you know, do you know when it was that Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, this is how you'll, they'll know you're my disciples, if you love one another. Do you know when he said that to them? It was at the Last Supper. The night before he died on the cross. He got up, he washes their feet. And he says, I'm your teacher. And I've just set an example for you. That is, I have just served you. So you're supposed to serve one another. This is how they'll know you are my disciples. If you love one another. That was when he said it. And then he got up and went to Gethsemane where he was arrested and taken to the cross to die for them. It's that kind of love that lets the world know who Jesus Christ is. I want to go back to James chapter 4 verse 1 now, okay? Back to the beginning of chapter 4. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And I mean, these Christians weren't like literally killing each other, all right? He's t- speaking metaphorically. When we fight with each other, when we slander and gossip about one another, we kill reputations, we kill relationships. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You cover, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You want to know why you don't have what you want? Well, you don't ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. And even when you ask, you don't receive it. Why? What does it say? Because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He calls them, the most straightforward way to translate this is he, he says, you adulteresses. He just looks at this church and says, you adulteresses. Why would he say that? Well, throughout all of Scripture, God's people are called the Bride of Christ. That God loves us. He joins into a covenant relationship with us. That He's our God, and He's faithful to us, and we're His people. We're the Bride of Christ. We're faithful to them, to Him. And He says, basically, He's saying we cheat on God. Verse 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit 
he has caused to dwell in us. Now, there's two ways to interpret this verse, okay? And it hinges on what the spirit is that God has caused to dwell within us. Some will say, well, that's our spirit, that God has created us with physical bodies. He's also given us a spirit, some would say a soul, and God longs for us to love him with our spirit, okay? So that, that's one way to interpret it. The other way to interpret, you'll see in the little footnote um, of your Bibles, but it's the, the spirit that God has caused to dwell within us is the Holy Spirit of God. That um, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're adopted into God's family, and God's Spirit actually comes and lives in us. And it is God's Spirit in us that is jealously longing for our affection. It's this idea. Um, just imagine you're married. Some of you are, some of you aren't. And, and you prepare a romantic dinner for your spouse. And they come home because you, you live together. And so you've got this dinner and their cell phone vibrates. And they pick it up and they get this little smile on their face and they're like, shh, shh, shh. And you're like, who's that? Oh, nobody. And then it happens again. And they're like, shh, shh. It's nothing. It's nothing really. I'm here with you. You know? And you know who that is. Because it's been going on for a long time. And you know it's a lover. And you just look at me like, how stupid do you think I am? That's that verse. That the Holy Spirit lives in the same house as us. He's right here in our house. And we're married to God. We're in a covenant with him. And we cheat on him right under his nose. And he jealously longs for our affection. Not all jealousy is wrong. It is wrong to be jealous of what other people have. But it is okay to be jealous of what belongs to you and is being stolen from you. Your spouse's affection belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Our devotion belongs to God. And yet we give our attention and we chase after lesser things all the time. And he knows it because he lives right here in our own house. And he's jealous. And so what does God do in his jealousy? Does he get angry at us? Does he curse at us? What does he do? Verse 6, very next verse. But he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It says, James is coming back to that idea of selfish ambition and how we boast about it but deny it at the same time. 
that we say, oh, I'm, I want this, or I'm doing this for a good reason, it's for other people, but it's really for our own selfishness. It's the same idea in this verse here, that we ask God for things, and we totally deny that the reason we want them is for our own selfish reasons. It's like going to your spouse and saying, hey, will you watch the kids so I can go out with my coworkers after dinner? And your spouse is like, well, is your one coworker going to be there? Because they do not want just friendship with you. You know, and you're like, oh, don't be jealous. You overthink things, you know. We do that to God all the time. We put him in that position where we come to him and we say, oh, God, will you give us this thing? And God knows full well that if he gives it to us, it will pull us away from him. And we say, oh, no, God, it's good. It's, you know, and we're proud. We're too proud that, to admit that we're asking God for things for selfish reasons. What did he say? Even when you ask, you do not receive. Because why? Because you ask with the wrong motives. And when we're too proud to admit we're asking for things with the wrong motives, God opposes us. Is he going to give that to us? No, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves and we admit that we do this, he gives grace to us. In the next verse, verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your minds, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter. Your, oh, it's okay, it's a no big deal. Change that into mourning. And your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. times I cried when I was preparing this message. Especially every time I looked at that verse about how the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we cheat on Him, but He gives us more grace anyways. And I just wanted um, to give us time. Thank you. I told myself I was going to need a Kleenex, and then I forgot to grab one before I got up here. Um, I wanted to give us some time to reflect and, and do what James calls us to do. To take our, oh, it's no big deal, and seriously address it and call it for what it is. Um, in a few moments, we're going to take communion. Um, and communion is a way that we identify with Christ in His ways, instead of identifying with the world. And instead of saying, I'm chasing after all of this, this is who I am with, this is what my life is. It's with Christ. 
And um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this. This is Paul writing about what he learned about the night Jesus died. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, right after he washed their feet, and said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples. Or you could say, this is how they'll know you're married to me. (laughs) On that night, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul says this. He says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If we know we have sin, if we know we've been cheating on God, like James calls us out for, if we've been double-minded, we need to examine ourselves and repent of that before we take the bread and the cup. Because when we take the bread and the cup, we're identifying with Jesus, and it's like saying, like, like my wedding ring, right? Like, I'm with him. He's mine, I'm his. And when we take that bread and the cup, we're saying, I'm with Jesus. He's mine, I'm his. But we can't do that while we're looking out and flirting with this stuff over here. And so that's why we have to examine ourselves before we take the bread and the cup, Okay. So I think Angie's going to come and play some music for us, just instrumental. And um, I'm going to pray. And then you can come and um, take the elements. You might want to sit in your chair for a little while first. We also have some on this side over here. And just pray and ask God to reveal to you, in his grace, what you need to know. Um, if there's things you want to repent of, you can write them down on a piece of paper. We have an altar back there that you can burn your sins on and offer them up to the Lord. It's just a little bowl and you can light your little paper on fire. We have prayer bowls up here if you want to write a prayer to the Lord. Um, any, there's paper in the baskets and pens. Um, any prayers that are folded are never read. If you leave it unfolded, I'll, I'll read it and I'll pray for you. You can sign it or you can do that anonymously, okay? There's different options. But we want to just take some time and let you process and spend some time with the Lord this morning, okay? Heavenly Father, um, your word is good. And I'm always amazed that even when you cut us to the heart, you're still